If you take your Bibles today and open to Psalm 136, Psalm 136, we will deviate from our first, period, uh, first Peter uh, study um, for a week, and we will regroup later on, but today we want to look at Psalm 136. Here in Psalm 136, we have a psalm of thanksgiving. Let's look at this, beginning with verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his mercy endures forever. To him who by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever. To him who laid out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endures forever. To him who made great lights, for his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endures forever. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his mercy endures forever. To him who struck Egypt in their firstborn, for his mercy endures forever, and brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endures forever. With a strong hand and with an outstretched arm, for his mercy endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his mercy endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, for his mercy endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his mercy endures forever. And slew famous kings, for his mercy endures forever. Shion, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan for his mercy endures forever and gave their land as a heritage for his mercy endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his mercy endures forever. Who remembered us in our lowly state for his mercy endures forever and rescued us from our enemies for his mercy endures forever. Who gives food to all flesh for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to God of heaven, the God of heaven, for his mercy endures forever. A theme might be running through that psalm. Here we find ourselves today worshiping the week of Thanksgiving as Thanksgiving Day is upon us. Thanksgiving uh, distinctly an American holiday, yet the giving of thanks distinctly a Christian attribute. The giving of thanks distinctly coupled with God's people throughout the history of God's people. Thanksgiving may have found an official holiday in our country, but Thanksgiving started with God and his people a long, long, long time ago. And today as we direct our thoughts towards, towards Thanksgiving, there's, there's no shortage of biblical texts that we could go to to examine what the Bible has to say about the giving of thanks, about gratitude within our hearts. 
But I wanted us to look at Psalm 136 today because I want us to think about where is our gratitude grounded? Where does our thanksgiving really come from? And in Psalm 136, the psalmist lays out three very distinct grounds for giving of thanks. He points out three very distinct areas or reasons that we have gratitude, that we should show gratitude, that we should offer thanksgiving. And so here in Psalm 136, I want us to look at these three areas. I want you to consider today, where is your gratitude grounded? You can probably in your mind right now make a list of things you are thankful for. Different families have different traditions. Some families just get together and, well, they just know that they're thankful. Some families get around and take turns talking about, here's what I'm thankful for and so on. But the reality is, Pretty much all of us could sit here and we could come up with a list of things that here is what I'm thankful for. This is why I'm thankful and so forth. But let's move beyond just a list of here's why I'm thankful to where does my thankfulness come from? Where is it sourced from? This gratitude I have, why do I have it? Why do I show it? That's what the psalmist reveals to us here. So let's just delve right in. The very first ground for having gratitude that the psalmist reveals. He speaks of gratitude that is grounded in command. There's a reason we offer thanksgiving, and it's really simply because we are commanded to offer thanksgiving. In fact, this psalm begins and it ends with the imperative to give thanks. You'll notice how it begins. Oh, give thanks. Verse 2, oh, give thanks. Verse 3, oh, give thanks. The very last verse, verse 26, oh, give thanks. The psalmist begins and ends with an imperative statement. That is something you must do. And what is that? Give thanks. We are commanded to give thanks. We are directed as God's children to offer thanksgiving. In fact, my friends, Thanksgiving should be part of the child of God's interaction with his or her heavenly father. This should be part of our routine interaction with God. The giving of thanks. Offering thanksgiving. Expressions of gratitude. This should be a part of our interactions with our heavenly father because of who we are in him. We are commanded to give thanks. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18 says this. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. What a statement. In everything, give thanks, for it is the will of God. Offer thanksgiving in every arena, every aspect, in everything that happens. Give thanks. You see, the new nature that is formed within a born-again believer should be a nature prone to thanksgiving. When you are transformed through faith in Christ, imparted with a new nature, part of that new nature is to have gratitude toward your Savior, to express thanksgiving 
towards your heavenly Father. It is just part of the nature within you that has been imparted to you. Giving of thanks really should come very naturally to the born-again believer. A heart of gratitude should be synonymous with a heart of faith. In fact, Billy Graham once said, Thanksgiving, the giving of thanks to God for all his blessings, should be one of the most distinctive marks of the believer in Jesus Christ. People around you should be able to tell you are a genuine follower of Christ because of the gratitude you express from your heart towards your Lord. The thanksgiving that flows from your heart, the thanksgiving you offer to your God should be a distinguishing mark of your faith. They go together. A heart of faith and a heart of gratitude. A life of belief and a life of thanksgiving. Having a heart of gratitude with the willingness to express it to God should mark your life as a believer. See, thanksgiving is just a natural overflowing of the heart that has been transformed by the power of Christ. It's not something you have to drum up. It's not something you have to work up. It's not some emotional experience you have to try to have. Thanksgiving is simply the natural overflowing from the heart that has been transformed by the power of Christ as you abide in him and live with him and walk with him. This is a natural expression, my friends, that the unredeemed do not have. Those who have not come to a personal belief in Jesus don't have this natural overflowing of gratitude towards God. Now, don't get me wrong, a lost person can be thankful a lost person can recognize I'm thankful for my home or I'm thankful for my job or I'm thankful for my family. But a heart of gratitude that swells up in expression to God, that is not in them. The unredeemed heart has no regard for gratitude towards God. The unredeemed heart doesn't express a genuine thanksgiving towards God. The unredeemed heart says, boy, I thank God that I wasn't hurt in that accident. Thank God my family's safe, or thank God we have this. But there's no genuine gratitude. It's just wordplay to them. It's just manipulation of words, maybe to invoke good favor from a deity that they don't really have a personal relationship with. Romans chapter 1 and verse 21 describes this. It says, although they knew God, they did not glorify him, nor were they thankful to God, but became futile in their thoughts and foolish in their hearts as they were darkened. See, the unredeemed heart has no true gratitude for God. There's a cold indifference towards God, really. It's a symptom of their alienation from God. And so when we talk about the giving of thanks, when we talk about thanksgiving, when we talk about a heart of gratitude, what we're talking about is something that stems from the heart of a person who has genuinely encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, come to repentance before him, called out to him in faith, and now they have become a new creation in Christ, a creation who can truly offer thanksgiving. See, the reality, my friends, is for some people, maybe some of you here today, Thanksgiving, true thanksgiving, will begin when you bow before Jesus and say, Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I know I can't fix it. I know I deserve the punishment of sin. But Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. 
I believe you've risen again. And Jesus, I know you can forgive me. I'm asking Jesus, will you forgive me? Will you come into my life? I want to serve you forever. Will you transform me from the inside out? And that's when you'll start to know thanksgiving. That's when you'll come to understand gratitude. That's when a, a transformed heart will overflow with gratitude and thanksgiving towards God. That's where some of you need to begin. You see, gratitude is grounded in the command God has given to his children. But if you're not one of his children, you don't even understand the kind of gratitude we're talking about. The psalmist goes on, though. He begins with gratitude grounded in command. Well, that's easy for us to understand. God said, do it, do it. Okay, got it. But he continues. He says there's gratitude that is grounded in circumstance. Some gratitude is grounded in the circumstance of our lives. There are things that happen that produce thanksgiving. In fact, most often, thanksgiving is tied to very specific circumstances in our lives. The birth of a child produces thanksgiving. Child leaving your home produces thanksgiving. A promotion produces thanksgiving. A gift you have been given by someone produces thanksgiving. Those things we identify as praiseworthy produce thanksgiving within our hearts. That's thanksgiving that is grounded in circumstance. That's very common. That's easy for us to understand. That's thanksgiving that even a lost person relates to because they have something good, they appreciate it. But we're talking about circumstance related to God. And the psalmist here gives us some very specific examples. And he acknowledges the reality that thanksgiving often is tied to our circumstance. Look at verse 4. To him who alone does great wonders. The psalmist there is recognizing the command to give thanks is often related to what God does, the wonders he performs. In, in essence, he's saying, oh, give thanks to the one who alone does great wonders in your life, the one who has brought blessings into your life, the one who has done good things in your life. Give thanks to him for he has done it, the circumstances you encounter. The psalmist points out it is God alone who does great and mighty works in our lives. And so it is God alone who deserves the praise and the thanks for the great and mighty works we experience. Those blessings that happen, the goodness that's in your life, that is God. James chapter 1 and verse 17 says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variance of shadow or turning. Those good and perfect blessings you have experienced, that's God. That's God at work in your life. Those are circumstances you recognize that produce gratitude. And so the most common and the easiest expressions of thanksgiving are really related to the deeds of God. What he has done. What he continues to do. We show gratitude based off the deeds of God, the circumstance of life. These things that God does and they bless us, it produces, it leads us into the giving of thanks, a heart of gratitude. I think we all can understand that. We can recognize that. Let's look at the specific examples the psalmist gives. He lists a few circumstances that lead to thanksgiving. The first one are circumstances of creation. You see this in verses 5 through 9. 
The psalmist says, the deeds of God will lead you to a heart of gratitude. And let me show you some examples. He said, there are circumstances in creation that lead to thanksgiving. He says, God in wisdom carried out creation. He orderly and intentionally brought the world into existence. That's important because what he's saying is God has set up the entirety of creation to provide an environment that will support our life. You look at creation and God has created that we might live. The molecular nuances of every detail God planned so that you and I can have physical life. The complexities of the human body, the complexities of ecosystems, the complexities of this world, he finally detailed that you could have life. He created in wisdom, the psalmist says, with you in mind. He has designed this for you He's given you purpose in creation. He has designed creation for you to benefit and to enjoy. What the psalmist is saying in essence is simply this. Each time you see the radiance of a sunrise or a sunset, you see the beauty of the autumn leaves, you see the loveliness of a flower blossom open, your heart should fill with gratitude for the life God has given you, for he has given you life. The circumstances of creation, the fact that you're here, should lead you to thanksgiving. He continues, though. He moves on here to circumstances of deliverance. Verses 10 through 16, he carries out his thought. He began with creation, and now he moves on. The psalmist says there are circumstances of deliverance that will cause you to have thanksgiving, that will move you to gratitude. Notice he speaks specifically of God delivering Israel from the bondage of Egypt. You'll remember that God had orchestrated for Joseph to wind up in Egypt. He did so that through Joseph, God could save the people he had promised to make something out of. There in Egypt, the people of Israel multiplied and expanded and became a great nation, so great that the Pharaoh feared them and began to oppress them and put them into slavery. And there they were in bondage. More than 400 years, they're in bondage. Yet God brought them out of bondage. You remember what he did. He brought a prophet called Moses. And he worked through the prophet to orchestrate their freedom. God brought about their freedom by his own plan, by his own power, by what he did among Pharaoh. He displayed his power through plagues and culminated that in in the death of the firstborn. The psalmist mentions that. And of course, those who were hiding behind the blood of a sacrificial lamb were saved. You remember the story. God, according to his own plan and by his own power, orchestrated their freedom from bondage. Then as they walked in this new freedom, when they were walking out in this new life, 
God continued to guide and oversee them. You'll remember how God led them. as He was in a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. He continued to lead them and guide them and see to their needs in this new freedom that they were walking in, the new life they had. He delivered them. And it's really a foreshadowing of the deliverance that God brings to all who will come to him in faith from the bondage of sin. The reality that every human being resides under the bondage of sin, that every human being is born into the slavery of sin. Jesus in John 8 says, he who commits sin is the slave of sin. You are born into it. It applies to everybody. Romans 3 says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everyone is born into the bondage of sin. Everyone is a slave to sin. Everyone faces the condemnation of sin. It applies to all of humanity, to all of us. It is our natural state of existence, this bondage to sin, yet God worked to provide a deliverance from that bondage. In fact, Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 17 says, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. The Bible says God knew humanity was condemned and suffering and in bondage to sin. And so he set forth a plan to bring about deliverance from sin. He sent the prophet we call Jesus Christ. God in human form, who the Bible says bore our sins in his own body and died on the cross, taking the punishment we deserve, suffering in our place, carrying our shame. He died, he was put in a tomb, he rose again. Why? To make us free from the bondage of sin, to rescue us from the slavery of sin, to break sin's power, control, and dominion over us. You see, The same Jesus who said in John 8, when you sin, you're a slave to sin, went on to say about four verses later, and when I set you free, you're free indeed. You're free forever. Sin has no more dominion on you. You have complete liberty, freedom, deliverance. You see, God enacted a plan of deliverance. Ephesians 1 says he came up with the plan before the foundations of the world. When the world was just being formed, God knew then sin was going to enter the world, and he knew then I have a plan to take care of this, and he set the plan in motion then and there. You see, Satan didn't catch God off guard. He knew all the time. He didn't call an audible. He called the play that needed to be called to begin with, and that was Jesus Christ entering this world, bearing our sins, dying in our place, rising again, conquering sin and death, that you and I could be freed from the bondage of sin. There's deliverance that brings thanksgiving. And God continues to guide us in this new life by the indwelling of his spirit. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is imparted to us. He's there to lead, to guide, direct, to teach, to comfort in all things. We have circumstances of deliverance that produce gratitude. The psalmist goes on with another example. He moves on to circumstances of promise. He says there are circumstances of promise. You see that in that next section of scripture. God brought his people, he delivered them out of the bondage of Egypt, and he delivered them into the land of promise. He delivered them into the land of promise. In fact, we find out reading here, that God executed judgment over heathen nations while he was ushering his children into a promised inheritance. The righteous judgment of God coupled with 
the inheritance of a promised land, working together to see his promise fulfilled. God brought it to be. He ushered his people into this promised land. In fact, if you go back and you study the history of Israel through the Old Testament, you know you will find that God kept every one of his promises. Everything he told his people he would do, he did. He was completely faithful to every one of his promises, ultimately ushering them into the promised land. There are circumstances of promise that produce thanksgiving, especially when we understand that God has promised to see all of his children delivered safely into an eternal promised land. When we understand, as we've already seen in 1 Peter chapter 1, that God has promised his children a heavenly inheritance that is incorruptible, that's undefiled, that does not fade away. No one can take it away. It can't be diminished. It can't go away. It can't fade away. It is there. It is yours. You have an inheritance. You have a heritage based in Jesus Christ. You have a promise Ultimately, what the Bible says is God will execute judgment over those who reject him while ushering his children into an eternal promised land, a place we call heaven. And all along the way, until that day comes, we live with confidence knowing God always keeps his promises to his children. He is faithful and true. The hope we have is the hope that he is always faithful to his word. And what he said he will fulfill He has made promises. He will keep them. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. He has said it, will he not do it? He has spoken it, will he not fulfill it? See, God's not like the people we deal with. When he says it, he follows through. When he promises it, it happens. Every promise of God you have in the scriptures, he will fulfill. You have circumstances of promise that lead you to have gratitude. Psalmist didn't stop there. He kept going. He said there's another circumstance that leads to thanksgiving. That's circumstances of rescue. There are circumstances of rescue that occur within our lives that lead us to a place of giving of thanks. You see this in verse 23 and 24. In one verse, the people are in such a lowly state. You get to the next verse and God has rescued them out of that lowly state. This is a reference to when God's children continually rebelled against God. Their continued sin led to consequences and they were carried away to Babylonian captivity. And there they reside in Babylonian captivity in such a lowly state. Yet God didn't forget about them. And according to his timing and his plan, he restored them. He brought them back. He restored them to their rightful place. They once again knew the joy of the Lord. They once again had the freedom to worship. They once again or standing with their Heavenly Father how they should, living for Him and worshiping Him and enjoying peace and joy in Him. They were lowly in state, but He rescued them out of that state. The reference here is simply this. As the enemies bombard us and the world afflicts us, 
God never forgets us. And as we feel we have reached a lowly state of existence and we just aren't sure what we're going to do or how long we're going to endure, God in his timing, according to his plan for his glory, will rescue us out of that lowly state. It's understanding that what he has said in the book of Hebrews 13, where it says, God himself has said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, so that you do not have to fear. In fact, what it says there is that the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. It's being in a lowly state, but understanding that my God hasn't left me, my heavenly Father hasn't forgotten me, and in his time, according to his way, he will rescue me out of that lowly state. He will restore me, place me back in a spot where I have peace and joy again. You see, Psalm 136 is a psalm that begins by saying, give thanksgiving because that's what God wants. But let me tell you some reasons why you can give thanksgiving. Look at the deeds of God. Look at what he's done. The wondrous, wondrous deeds of God, his blessings, the circumstances of joy that should so easily produce within us gratitude and expressions of thanksgiving. Surely today, we can recognize what God has done in our lives. We can recognize the deeds of God and let gratitude swell in our hearts. But there's one other ground for gratitude mentioned here. And this is where we really want to just clue in, key in. This is it. Let's talk about gratitude grounded in character. Last week when I began to study, this was the one thing, the one thing that God impressed upon me to share. Everything else I had to share just to get here. That's the truth, and I mean it. This sermon could have been five minutes long if we would have just done what I wanted to do. Gratitude grounded in character this is where thanksgiving really happens. This is where we get to the level of giving a thanks that I think God really desires. You see, my friends, the purest thanksgiving comes not from our perceived blessings, but from our understanding of God's character. When I begin to understand the character of God, then I'll begin to really express gratitude. It's not so much about the gift then, it's because I understand the giver. It's not so much about the blessings God pours out, it's about who God is. And he still wants to bless me. We need to understand the character of God. We need to have gratitude grounded in that understanding. You see, gratitude from circumstance, that's easy. Something good happened, I'm thankful but we're called to go to a deeper level as children of God. We're called to take our gratitude and root it in a much deeper source than just something good happened. Our gratitude is to be rooted in who God is, not what God does. So, the psalmist points us here. 
Verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. See, there's a distinction there. He could have said, give thanks. Give thanks. Why? Because God does good. But that's not what he said. He said, give thanks. Why? For the Lord is good. Give thanks because of, good, of who God is, not what he does. Let your gratitude, your thanksgiving, be grounded in who God is. God is good. Now that word good there doesn't mean like, hey, that was good. It tasted good. Hey, you did good in the ballgame. No, it refers to God's excellence and higher nature. It is what is described in Exodus 15, where speaking of God, it says, and in the greatness of your excellence, God, it is having this great excellence, this higher nature. It's referring to his exalted majesty. My thanksgiving is really rooted in understanding God's exalted majesty. That he is so far above in his excellence. That he possesses a splendor, a power, a position that is so far beyond my finite understanding, it just leads me to worship him and offer him thanks. When I began to understand the excellence of God, his exalted majesty. See, as I sat and ponder. Why am I thankful to God? My thankfulness should really be rooted in, God, you have this exalted majesty. My father has an exalted majesty that just makes me so thankful. That's independent of what God has done. It's who he is. It's who he is. God has granted us access to himself. He has allowed us to approach him. He calls us his children. And yet he's never changed his excellent and higher nature. He still has exalted majesty. The exalted, high, majestic God, the most excellent being there ever is and could be, has made a way for you and I to know him personally and interact with him. Understanding who he is produces gratitude. Our thanksgiving is rooted in who God is. Gratitude should swell within us as we understand our Heavenly Father has eternal excellence. And He reflects that in how He deals with us. But that's His character. The psalmist goes on in verse 2, Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. That is Elohim. The one true living self-existing God. Give thanks because the one you know personally is the one true living and self-existing God. He needs no one else or nothing else to validate him. He is self-existing. Whether you believe in him or not, he still is. He is all in all within himself sustained, all-powerful. He is the creator, the sustainer, the all-powerful, living, true God. That is who our Heavenly Father is. Give thanks to Him. Why? Because He is God. 
living and true, self-existing, all-powerful. He is God. If he did nothing else, our hearts should still swell with thanksgiving simply by knowing the one true, self-existing, all-powerful God. Understanding who he is, not what he does. Is your heart filled with gratitude as you recognize you have access to the one true, all-powerful, self-existing God? The one who loves you enough to call you his child. Psalmist goes on, though. Verse 3. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. That word Lord there, add-on, sovereign, master, and controller. The psalmist says, look, you should have a heart of thanksgiving because the one you know personally is the sovereign ruler over all that exists. He has sovereign control over everything. He is completely sovereign over all things, all that there ever is. There is nothing, there is no one beyond his jurisdiction. He is completely sovereign. When I understand that my Heavenly Father is completely sovereign, and there's nothing outside the realm of his jurisdiction. There's nothing that goes on that he doesn't see. My heart swells with gratitude. Thanksgiving is fostered as I remember it's my heavenly father who has complete control. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. I'm never outside the realm of where he's at or what he understands or what he can do. It's who God is, not what God does, that makes me thankful. You see, my friends, if you look at Psalm 136, what you find is this. The entirety of the psalm is focused on gratitude grounded in God's character. This whole thing is about God's character. He started out by saying, hey, you're commanded. And then he gave you some examples of what God does. But every bit of it is about the character of God and how God's character leads us to have gratitude. Did you notice what every verse happened to say? For his mercy endures forever. That's not a deed of God. That's an attribute of God. That's not an act of God. That's the character of God. In every verse of the psalm, we're told to give thanks. And the root cause behind everything is the reality that his mercy endures forever. See, even when we look at the deeds that God does in our lives that bless us, if you look behind the deeds, you find the character of God. You find his enduring mercy, his steadfast love, his abounding grace. You find the character of God behind every deed of God you experience. It's all about the character of God. Every circumstance of blessing, everything that God brings into your life, it's really driven by his character, by his mercy and grace and his love, his character. The unchanging, eternal Merciful character of God. That's why we can be thankful. 
That's why we can be thankful. And God is perfectly consistent in all he ever does. He's perfectly consistent in who he is. I didn't include this in your notes, and honestly, it's not in my notes either, but verse 26 says, Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven, the eternal God, the unchanging God, the one who's completely consistent, eternal, forever, the God of heaven, the God who calls you into his presence in heaven. It's all about his character. It's all about his character. You see, thanksgiving becomes a natural part of my interaction with God when I understand his character is one of enduring mercy, steadfast love, boundless grace. When I understand who God is and I'm interacting with him, then gratitude just naturally swells out of me because of who God is. When I naturally reflect and continually reflect on his character, Our gratitude at Thanksgiving and really every day of our lives should be based in who God is. Who God is. And this becomes so important because gratitude grounded in God's character changes the way we offer Thanksgiving. We offer Thanksgiving vastly different when we start to offer Thanksgiving based on who God is instead of what God does. You see, It's easy to say I'm thankful based off circumstance. But what if your circumstances aren't such that you're naturally inclined to be thankful? Let's reconsider 1 Thessalonians 5.18. We read that at the very beginning. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything give thanks. Now this poses a problem. Because did you know that not everything that happens in life is praiseworthy? Not everything that happens in life is pleasant. Not everything that happens in life is good. But I'm supposed to be thankful. When my circumstances are hard, when my circumstances are painful, when my circumstances bring suffering, I'm supposed to be thankful? How can I be thankful in circumstances that don't produce thanksgiving? Because my gratitude is not based on circumstance. My gratitude is based in who God is, not what he does. And so when my gratitude, when my thanksgiving is rooted in who God is, the unchanging character of God allows me to be thankful even when my circumstances are difficult or painful. I can offer thanksgiving when things are bad and painful, when I suffer, when things get hard, because gratitude is based and grounded in God's character, not what's happening. You see, that's why our thanksgiving becomes totally different when we start basing our thanksgiving on who God is, not what God does. We give thanks in everything because God's character never changes. So our thanksgiving never changes. He's always powerful and sovereign and merciful and steadfast in love. And so I can be thankful even when circumstances around me are difficult because I can have confidence that he is at work in my painful circumstances for my benefit. 
to bring about something good, to strengthen my faith, to empower me for the future, to advance his kingdom. We like to grab Romans 8.28 and throw it out there about how God works all things together for good for those who love him or are called according to his purpose. Sure he does. That's true. But that's true because of his unchanging character. And so that means even in those circumstances, I can have gratitude and thanksgiving towards God. It could be that as we look Thanksgiving Day in the face, some of you have things going on in your life that are not things that would in and of themselves produce a grateful heart. You might be dealing with circumstances that are difficult or painful, or you might have some suffering in your life, and you just don't know that you can give thanks. You're looking at gratitude the wrong way. Thanksgiving is grounded in who God is, his enduring mercy, his steadfast love. That's unchanging in your life regardless of your circumstance. So I want to challenge you to express thanksgiving to God even in the midst of the difficulties by focusing on who God is, not just what God does. Maybe you're here today and to encounter that enduring mercy and that steadfast love means coming to a saving faith in him. Maybe you're here today and you know you're a born-again believer, but you have allowed the world to take your focus on and, and put it on so many things. You, you have lost your joy and it's robbed you of a grateful heart. So maybe today's the day you shift your priority back to who God is and why you can be thankful. I don't know what your need is, but here's what I do know. God is faithful and he'll meet you where you're at. So we're going to have a word of prayer, open up our altars, and I'm just going to ask you to do business with God. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you, Lord, that your mercy endures forever and that you're here to display that mercy to us today. I ask now that you would move among us and speak to our hearts in the name of Jesus. Would you stand to you?